0: hey what's up everyone a lot of people ask me how do i get started on a podcast one of the easiest ways that i've found to start a podcast is through an app called anchor they have a web version and a mobile version the best part about the app is that you can record directly from your phone and they have background music that you can use along with your podcast as you do introduction it has tons of feature for podcast the best part is it takes care of the distribution as well it distributes to apple google spotify some of the major providers of podcasts so they take care of the distribution and also on top of it, they pay you money for running ads on your podcast. So to get started on your podcast today, head to anchor.fm. To also check out help.anchor.fm where they have a lot of useful information for people who are starting out on podcast. So just go out and start your own podcast today. Hello, what is up people this is cloud security podcast today we have david lintercom as our guest he is the chief cloud strategist for deloitte and you can find him pretty much everywhere on the internet he has written a lot of articles for infoworld he has a lot of courses i think it's linda.com from linkedin so if you haven't heard of him you should definitely check out his profile on InfoWorld. he regularly posts articles on multi-cloud, container taxes, and what people are not talking about enough in cloud, and especially cloud security. In this episode, we go into what is multi-cloud, and if if multi-cloud is a good thing for customers, and how self-ordered is important irrespective of if you have a regulatory body overseeing compliance for you regularly. One of the other things that we go into is also around what challenges do you see in a cloud when you go multi-cloud, and how can you start today by taking the right step on building the cloud or your cloud presence the right way? As always, if you find anything interesting that you wanna share with other people, we would really appreciate if you give us a shout. And if you feel like it, you can just like follow us and leave us a review as well. I do wanna apologize. I did have a bit of a sore throat. Don't worry, it's not coronavirus. I just wanted to make sure I still had my commitment. I just had a sore throat so that's why my voice was a bit weird but i'm all right i don't have covid i hope you guys are safe as well i hope you continue to be safe but for the moment let's get into this episode welcome to cloud security podcast today my guest is david lynchikam well where do i start about david lynchikam um if you were to read just his bio uh, he's an author for more than 13 books with 5000 articles He's, done, he's, been, he's appeared on InfoWorld, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, NPR, and I can just keep going on. But I don't feel I would do enough justice to David. So welcome, David. And hey, would you welcome. be able to introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Yeah, number one, thanks for having me. Uh, Dave Lenticum, I'm actually the Chief Cloud Strategy Officer uh, for Deloitte. Been there for a couple of years. Prior to that, I was with uh, Cloud Technology Partners. Uh, was there for about five years. That was sold to uh, HP a few years ago. And prior to that, many jobs as a CTO or a CEO of several different other startups or enterprise companies, and most of those were sold Um, and just love technology and just kind of look at what's next and just kind of thrive on uh, inventing and being innovative around new things. So that's that's why I love doing the thought leadership stuff. And I love doing things like this because it does allow me to interact with smart people like yourself.
0: Oh, thank you. My first question, usually on this podcast, is: What does cloud security mean for
1: you? Well, it means keeping keeping my clients employed, (laughs) because (laughs) yeah, yeah, they don't they mess that up, and it's not going to work. Well, cloud security is really, um, you know, has very similar patterns that we had with enterprise security. However, there is new innovative technology in the stack that's starting to appear, which means we have to leverage both traditional features like encryption and identity access management, and advanced features, multi-factor authentication, bio-authentication, things like that. And so really when you think of cloud security, you have the opportunity to kind of take security to the next level. In fact, I always have this conversation with my clients. Your system is going to be more secure in the cloud than it is on-premise typically because the security technology in the cloud has been looked after for the last five years where the security stuff that's been on-premise has not. It's been you know, legacy stuff, a lot of the stuff has been sunsetted. And so when I actually looked at the R&D budgets of the security um, providers out there, they're spending 75% of their R&D budgets on retooling for the cloud. And so they're putting all their innovation and effort into building security systems that are gonna work in the cloud. So when I think of cloud-based security, I think of the opportunity to kind of take your security systems to the next level. Of course, you have to get around the fact that everybody's kind of freaked out about their data not physically existing. in a data center on-premise, and it has to exist in a cloud that you have to trust people to run. But the thing is, that model is actually more effective because you're able to defend things centrally. You're able to spot patterns of attack as a uh, multi-tenant-based system um, versus you trying to be... All things to security within your particular system, and you're not going to be, you know, the best of the best at doing security, proactive monitoring, all these sorts of things. So when I think of cloud security, I think of a lot of security issues being solved. Um, a lot of people don't agree with that; they they think that um, uh, on there's remaining on-premise because of the security issues. But you know that's it. That's it. So if you want to have the best of breed security systems, do it in the cloud.
0: What does data security in
1: cloud? yeah I mean that's basically what we're really securing <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> uh, that's the if security is the verb then that's the noun uh, that we're securing and so information is stored in a variety of different ways and the thing is within cloud-based security you have to think of it as tiers so in other words I can secure things at the operating system level where people can't gain access to files or physical storage systems so they can't gain access to the data Uh, But that's typically too binary, because we're either allowing or disallowing people access to systems. And of course, we have identity access management, which actually secures people to objects or tables or relational systems. And even that's too limiting. And now we have the ability to kind of set up governance and security, you know, down to the record and record and object level in the system. So, you know, you and I are uh, leveraging data. Um, I can lock you out of half the database because you don't need it. It's none of your business. I'm running an HR system. And if I'm running the, H, say you're the manufacturing person, if I'm the HR person, then I need access to people's salary information and things like that. Well, I can, through um, number one, data governance is involved in this, but also data security, make sure that you can't see the information that you can't see and the other thing too is i can encrypt data using that kind of method as well And so we have two different encryption keys we're leveraging two different ways and we're authenticating to the data and you can get to a level of sophistication i don't think we were able able to get to on premise yeah. and, and so um, the data security things that i see coming down the pike and most of these aren't widely widely leveraged right now they're available in the cloud but people aren't using them yet have these capabilities which really people have been desiring for a long period of time. I mean, security has always been a pain in the neck with everybody. It's a lot of overhead. They have to go through different levels. You have to have a security administrator, things like that. And ultimately you get frustrated with it because it's going to lock you out of things you think you need. Yep. Well, the ability to have something that's more configurable at a fine grained level and the ability to kind of attach any sort of security system on and Most importantly, the ability to integrate your security system with governance. So I can govern not only, Limit your use of data, authenticate you t- to get to the data, but I can put policies around how you're leveraging the data. In other words, you can't access it at a certain time of day. That's not, that's actually a good security parameter during management and monitoring the system. So yep. we can proactively spot when there's issues. We can tie AI ops and AI security systems to this to, uh, to those things as well. I mean, it's it just gets really, really... Um, almost sophisticated to the point that it's you know, going to be almost 100% secure, even though it's never going to be 100% secure. But using a zero trust model and all those sorts of things are starting to move in that direction.
0: What's the maturity difference that you see between, say, because you've worked with startups, you've worked with enterprises as well. What do you see the difference between a security maturity between someone who's just starting off today or a startup which could be, I'm not saying Facebook is a startup anymore, but an internet startup which is, has a lot of customers, has a lot of data, and is in the cloud versus enterprise, which is something that has been in the data center for a very long time, has a lot of legacy applications that are moving to cloud. Now, speak, putting them like that makes them sound like two different worlds. But I wonder when they go into cloud, what's the maturity difference that you see? Like, what's that maturity in your eyes?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because they both have limitations uh, and some risks they're dealing with. So startups don't have an unlimited amount of money. So they're typically always going to pick cloud, and they're typically going to do so in a way that's most economical to them. And so, you know, back when in my CEO days, to start a company, I needed at least a million dollars to get data center space and servers and things like that. Not needed anymore. You're going to spend $1,000 or $2,000 a month. So by being born in the cloud, you have the opportunity to leverage security in the best practices manner, but you're not necessarily going to do it. I find a lot of the startups don't have the security talent. Because they can't afford it, they can't afford a a security administrator that's you know on the market is worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and typically don't want to work for a startup. So they, in essence, have to kind of um, have people wear multiple hats and things like that. And that's where the insecurity comes in. That's where they're not configuring things correctly and finding things like buck you know, AWS S3 buckets are exposed. Um, because they're not, they're not even taking the defaults. They're undoing the default security <laughs> set. And things, you know, just minor things that need to be fixed, but they have the potential of having a much better security solution than anything within the enterprise. So the enterprise is limited by the fact that they have a legacy environment. And so those things typically may not have a path to any kind of sophisticated security system. They, they may not be able to accept identity access management. Encryption systems may have some sort of a, an issue with the processor that they're on. So they're limited by the physicality or basically the uh, the degree of the, the technology that they've levered in the past. And unless they're willing to upgrade that, which by the way costs a tremendous amount of money, uh, or move it into the cloud, for example, yep. uh, they're not gonna reach the level of security that they, they feel they require. And by the way, they have plenty of money um, they just can't spend it in such a way because they have to make earnings per share. And so even though they're, you know, a $50 billion company, they're still going to kind of cheap out on security stuff because it's overhead, it's, you know, IT and, you know, IT is supposed to serve sort of the business and those sorts of things. Yeah. So there's opportunities there. If someone's born in the cloud, they can make their stuff extremely secure. Some things people are leveraging the enterprise is going to be the old stuff around that's going to limit them.
0: That's an interesting one because I always find this question fascinating. Where is cloud security a thing at sea level? And considering you speak to a lot of people at that level as well, um, even something like DevSecOps, which a lot of people still cringe every time I say that, um, it's is it, is it is it something that they're talking about? Is it something that's important for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, look at the morning news. It's riddled with breaches and you know companies that have uh, you know gone under uh, because of some of these breaches. So it's absolutely the biggest risk, I think, that they run. It's even more, it's more of a risk than an outage. If you have personal data, you know, that's stolen and exposed. And many of these existing legacy companies that are running legacy systems, we just discussed it. You know, have systems that aren't, aren't being improved. They're not being, you know, loved by the security providers that have been loving them for many years. They're spending all their money in the cloud. And that's why you see, anytime you hear about a major breach, the cloud's never near it. You know, it's always a legacy system. Some patch got to forgot to be applied. Um, you know, some phishing scam occurred, or you know, some in, internal employee was went rogue and you know hurt them in some way. And so the dynamics of security kind of really go to um, not necessarily the value of the business, but they go to the the business's viability. I mean, one of the things that I would do um, between jobs is I'd work for uh, venture capital firms who would send me in to companies they're about to invest in and I would do a security audit because their biggest concern is not an outage or not them moving into cloud. Their biggest concern is about them getting breached and having the value of the company be cut in half in a a day and potentially not even recovering. And so if it's not a C-level risk issue, um, then I would get a new board of directors and a new CEO.
0: Right. And so people who are not... And I think that's a good good way to explain it to people who are not convinced about cloud security being important for them, even though a lot of people still have cloud first strategy, and they're all going, "Oh, I need a SaaS first, PaaS, and then IaaS." Kind of like that kind of model. Is that something that you're noticing in your, um, I guess, the customers and the people that you're talking to as well?
1: Yeah, everybody's um, wants to move to the cloud. I just think they're they don't know what they're they don't know yet how to do it. And so they're at the experimental stage, even though you read some of the, you know, with 20%, 30% of migrating in the cloud, a lot of that's going to be software as a service systems, which are kind of baked into the application migration stuff. But as far as migrating systems from an operating system platform um, within a data center into an infrastructure as a service cloud, that's all fairly slow going. And that's because it's very hard to do that. I mean, I just put a, a blog in InfoWorld today that's published today. I said, just this just in, cloud is hard. And and a UK firm you know, kind of did a study on the fact, and lo and behold, that it's not as easy to move in the cloud as we thought. And people are kind of beyond the low-hanging fruit and trying to make the move to those systems. And so that becomes kind of the drudgery of it. So everybody wants to have a cloud-first strategy. They just don't know how to execute on it. And also the, the big thing is how do you pay for it? Because you have to have an accordion of money that has to uh, hump up uh, to spend on the migration stuff and to spend on the security and the governance and building the common services and things like that. And some enterprises are willing to do it, and therefore they're going to fall by the wayside later.
0: Yeah, and I think to your point, if you ask questions like, well, if it's not broken, why am I trying to fix it? Kind of thing as well. It's almost like asking people to innovate or invest in what could be a potential rather than, oh, this works fine, (laughs) don't worry about this.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not a cloud bigot, and so when I show up, I don't go cloud, cloud, got to move to the cloud, got to move to the cloud. I'm all about making an assessment into what you have, yep. the opportunities you have to modernize in the cloud, things you can do such as better governance, better security, things we already talked about. Yeah, And then looking at the viability of making it happen within the budget they're looking to spend. And also putting together the business case, true business case, on what they're going to gain in efficiencies, what they're going to gain in agility, what they're going to gain in cost reduction. And then kind of set it in front of them, and then they can pick out the way to go. And here's a priority order in terms of things you should move. Here's a priority order of things that shouldn't move yet. They have to yep. move you maybe in a few years, if there's no platform analogs that exist in the public cloud. You know, yada yada yada. It's a very complex thing to go through that kind of an architecture planning with a customer. And I think uh, with a client, I think that's what we're missing right now. We're missing that skill inside of enterprises that aren't willing to you know kind of take an academic pragmatic look at it.
0: One of the reasons we have um, in cloud security podcast, we have a cloud security awareness program. And because the more I spoke to people, even something as basic as you men- mentioned earlier, identity and access management encryption, they think, oh, I need like my HSM for my on-prem. Why are you complex- Why the complexity? It's great you don't trust the cloud, but would you trust someone who's spending a lot more money than you on a data center <laughs> to trying to secure it with millions of clients Versus your hundreds and thousands of clients, like I think that it just boggles me that you saw like, oh, we made a course around it, if we are making it available online. But it it's really interesting to your point about the awareness of cloud and how security could be easy if you're doing cloud natively as well, that you don't have to go to outside provider. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? I'm I'm just curious because it's almost like um, do you feel there's a gap in security awareness?
1: Security on on premise versus oh
0: sorry I, I meant security awareness in cloud like cloud security awareness. Uh,
1: um, so so I, I think that uh, p- people aren't necessarily um, considering all the uh, all the alternatives right now, and they just they're just not aware of. Them. I mean, one of the problems is we have so much information that oh, yeah. there's no one who's willing to kind of boil it down into some talking points and people people can look at. So um, ultimately. It is the fact that we're hitting everything on all cylinders is going to make a break of cloud migration. It's got to be security, governance, management, and monitoring. It's got to be operational excellence. It's got to be ability to deal with DevOps, or if you want to call it DevSecOps, um, those sorts of things. And also an ops model change and also a talent change that exists within the organization. If you're not willing to do those seven things... In- of security, but guess what? It's just a leg in the stool that's holding a lot of other stuff up. It doesn't make sense to secure something if it's going to be down seven hours a day. Um, Then you're typically not going to be successful and you're going to have to loop back and fix things. And that's what I'm finding people are doing. And so they're creating solutions that are too ill-defined, not planned, and too complex. They don't have common security services. They're using different encryption mechanisms, different identity access management mechanisms. I may find five directories that are there, and LDAP, and Active Directory, and things like that. And so when they deploy it, and the reason it happened that way is because they're a bunch of DevOps pods that are, in essence, doing best of breed selecting the cloud technology and so their solution is going to be whatever they think is going to be right at the time based on their own religious beliefs and ultimately we end up with 50 different solutions and then also we end up with 50 different security parameters no common security no common directory and guess what we got a problem we can't operationalize that we can't run a security system around that so we have to back that up Um, And actually undo a lot of the work that's been done and put in a common security system, common governance, common directory services, and bind everything back down to those things. And that seems to be a mistake that everybody's making. So it's not necessarily having security on the radar screen. It's that they don't have a consistent, common set of security on the radar screen.
0: Oh, right. So I guess everyone has the right intent, but they have multiple tools trying to solve the same problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I, you know, create a pod within an enterprise. um, And then we're told to come up with whatever technology solution we feel is going to be right for the application. And we're not communicating with the other 50 pods within the company that are, you know, scrumming up and building things and doing all the things that agile does. Um, Then our security system by definition is not going to be the same as everybody else's. And then we throw it over to cloud ops to operationalize it. And guess what? They're like, we can't do this. We have 50 <laughs> different security systems. We have no common mechanism here, no management and monitoring thing, no operational planning. Yep. And I think that's the, that's the biggest uh, hurdle that we're going over right now. I noticed that in 2019, cloud kind of plateaued a bit when I looked into why that was occurring. Uh, mainly it's because of the complexity issue. Either operationalized complexity, security complexity, governance complexity just kind of hindering development and people are bouncing back and redoing a lot of the stuff. And in some instances they are mandating, they can't do multi-cloud because they view it as too complex. They get back to a single cloud environment and that actually makes things worse. But suddenly you start taking things off the table that could be part of the common services. And we just get in this big kind of, um, uh, odd loop that a lot of enterprises are in right now. And I think it's probably going to be another three or four years before they get out of those loops.
0: I'm I'm glad you brought multi-cloud because that's a good segue into my next question. What um is multi-cloud a thing?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Everybody, I mean, all my clients are multi-cloud clients. Of course, they may have you know 80% of their stuff on AWS and maybe 10% of the stuff on Microsoft and 5% of the stuff on Google and of the stuff on IBM or Oracle or something like that. Um, But the acceptance of the fact that it's not gonna be a single cloud provider and really kind of looking to the fact that we're going to leverage all these different cloud solutions to really, uh, with the battle cry and best of breed, you know, is a real thing. And people are putting that on the radar screen. However, it doesn't lock in, because you're still gonna get locked into a particular cloud you pick if you use cloud native features. Um, It does add complexity. Um, however, there's a tremendous amount of benefits from it, but you have to figure out cross security across cloud you have to figure out governance across cloud management and monitoring. And then we get into cloud management platforms. We get into security managers. We get into lots of things that people didn't anticipate. Yep. But the thing is, if we're going to leverage multi-cloud and I agree that we probably should, it's going to have the best of breed stuff. Then we need to have the, um, then we need to have the common services that are built in and planned for. And that's where people fall down. It's the same discussion we just had is because they kind of see multi-cloud as the way to kind of open up everything to best to breed systems. Well what we just talked about, the scenario where we have the 50 pods within the enterprise, suddenly they're not just picking security solutions on AWS. they're picking security solutions on Microsoft and Google and IBM and Oracle. And chances are they're going to have no coordination between them. complexity becomes 10 times uh, 10 times as bad you know, as they try to operationalize it. So it's okay to go multi-cloud and certainly you can secure multi-cloud. You can actually do a really good job of securing multi-cloud, but there has to be a significant planning effort that occurs. You have to do the meta-architecture, the micro-architecture, the security architecture, you have to do operational planning. And a lot of these things that, um, that just people aren't spending the time doing. Um, so if you don't have the talent in the organization and you're not partnering with a consulting firm that knows how to do it, you know, chances are you're gonna make a big honking mistake and have to hit the reset button.
0: And that's interesting also to what you mentioned about managing security and governance across multiple cloud. Do you see anyone doing this well?
1: Yeah, there's a few. I'm um, not going to mention any companies, but um, if you but look I'm, at...
0: People- I'm curious about how. what does it look like? Because I, I would be like a lot of people struggle with and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this as well. Uh, I know that in Australia, we have this new mandate coming up where all the banks have to go multi cloud and in multi cloud in the sense that if one of the clouds was considered a security risk and they and the government basically tells the bank that oh you cannot be on aws you should also have azure because aws is a security risk but if everyone is just on one cloud that means well um well you can i, I guess you don't really have any option at that point you can't have to shut down the bank right Right. That's why the government has basically said, "Oh, you kind of have to be multi-cloud, or at least have another possibility." But the complexity that comes with it—it's just like insane. And to your point about money spent on it, but I'm looking at that from a security perspective. I'm like, that's even more complex. I've got oh, yeah. on-prem, I've got AWS, or possibly Azure and Google Cloud, or and I'm like, how am I gonna? Where am I gonna start? I, I'm pretty sure I, it's not just me. People listening to this will ask the same
1: question as where, where do you start with that? Well, you first understand the fact of the matter is that multi-cloud security is going to take 50% more resources to get up and running. And so, and you're going to find that on pretty much everything, governance, security, ops, monitor, monitoring, things like that. So you typically have to leverage some sort of security manager. You typically have to leverage security that's able to go cross cloud and even on-premise. Uh, identity access management systems typically are really good at doing that. And so get those configured. You have to leverage some sort of a security system that's down to the verticals you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with um, healthcare and privacy, different countries have different regulations, different encryption standards and that, and you need to do that as a set of common services. In other words, it's not native to a particular cloud, but it 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 may exist in a cloud, but it's a set of common services that all applications and all systems are able to leverage between all the clouds that are connected in a multi-cloud environment. That is hard to build. I mean, i built a few of those in my career lately, and those things are really tough to pull together because everybody is, have, is going to have different requirements and different security systems on it. And the, and the uh, thing is to augment the security system to adapt to the needs of the application when it should go the other way around. The application needs to adapt to the security. It has to be purpose-built for the security that's out there. But if you want good security, you can do it. It's going to cost you 50% more. I call it the multi-cloud tax, and there's a container tax as well. And you're gonna to have to put the planning in place uh, to make it occur. And, and by the way, all these new tools that are multi-cloud enabled, typically maybe two, three years old. Um, so they're not all baked. You're gonna to have to be very careful in testing and do an acceptance testing with this stuff. And also the public cloud you're gonna pick and leveraging those native capabilities and making sure that you're operating those things in a successful way.
0: Yeah, I think um, I love the term multi-cloud tax.
1: Yeah, there's multi-cloud. Tech. There's also a container tax. So you're going to build a container application. It's about 25 to 35 percent more uh, in terms of building them. So if I'm going to oh, budget cool. building an application that's containerized um, versus not, you know, something that's just running cloud native and you know regular com- regular compilers and developing the deployment stuff, it's 25 to 35 percent more money. So because of talent, you got to hire people more expensive. Uh, it takes longer to architect if you do it properly. Because uh, really containers are, you know, distributed systems. Um, and it's, uh, if, and you really should do it right out of the gate or else you end up migrating twice and migrating to a container and then having to go back and redo it, uh, which a lot of people are getting into now, kind of double trouble.
0: That's an interesting one for me because I I got this question from one of my, um, I guess, audience members and I that it's, it's important to know multi-cloud, but that there's a shadow cloud happening in a lot of organizations as well um where and there is, i guess multi-cloud is one complexity then you go into the whole shadow cloud thing where someone has whipped out a credit card and now like i can't wait for my security to approve my aws appointments i'm just gonna go with my credit card it's just gonna pay at a regular bill like do you see that as a, as a trend as well and if yes or um do you how do people deal with it
1: Yeah, not as much as a few years ago. I mean, we call it shadow IT here in the States, and that just means that different divisions are kind of sick of waiting for IT to get their problem solved, and they're going out and hiring their own consultant and, you know, putting AWS Instance on Amex and then go ahead and get the database and build it. You don't see this as much of an issue anymore because I think they realized that they had to maintain it and had to secure it, and they're also liable. For security of that so that that can be a fireable offense if they're putting customer information on something that's not necessarily auditable by the security systems that are there and there's a lot of regulations in terms of how we're going to manage the data Yeah, people are particularly wary of that so people used to take risks because cloud was new and they could you know buy it you know per drink and you know go ahead and um basically leverage it for the technology they need to leverage but there's too many risks to do it a lot of what happened a few years ago with shadow it is that people just kind of put it back on the doorstep of it. And they said, by the way, we built this thing, it's your problem now. And so poor it had to take it and accept it and deal with security and governance and all the things that weren't built into the system. So if people do that, um, uh, I can understand why they do it, but it's not advisable. In fact, I think it should, it should be, um, uh, not only discourage, but um, but uh, against the policy of the company for them to start doing that. And by the way, with network sniffers and things like that, they can see it out on the network and go get it. Um, that happens as well. That wasn't as prominent maybe five years ago, but um, I'm not seeing as much shadow IT as we did in the past. Maybe Australia, it's become an issue. Um,
0: I I guess my, my question is more around, say, um, not shadow IT in the traditional sense. I mean, we call it shadow IT as well, but it's more. You already have a cloud presence, Uh, so you could be an enterprise. You have Google, Amazon, Azure. You You have everyone. But there is a set of accounts or set of subscriptions your organization would be aware of. But then there are these other ones that they've signed up for themselves. It could be before cloud became a thing in your organization. And they're running this as like a BAU kind of a thing. Like that kind of shadow cloud is what I meant where you're, you're already, your company already has a presence in cloud, but people aren't using that. They're using their own version of whatever the cloud they want to go with. Like, have you seen those kind of scenarios?
1: Yeah, every once in a while. So in other words, what you're saying is maybe the company is running AWS and you want to run Microsoft.
0: Yeah, and you're yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Building on Microsoft. Yeah. Um, and does IT know about it or not?
0: Uh, well, that's the thing. They don't know about it. That's where the okay. shadow cloud kind of comes in.
1: Yeah, well, that's... that's pretty much analogous to, 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 to shadow IT is where we're building something outside the realm and control of IT. And we did see it a lot, um, but like I said, people are consolidating the stuff because they realize the risk in doing that, uh, risk of your job. You know, if you're building data and putting data that should be regulated, uh, you can get a lot of trouble. Um, so you do see it every once in a while. It's easy to find out where those are using the tools and technology we have today. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be growing here in the States. Maybe worldwide it has been.
0: Oh, uh, so is, are there, is there technology already out there? Oh, I guess the Caspi space, is that what you're referring to?
1: No, not. You're talking about the, you're uh, talking about network sniffers?
0: Oh, right, now. okay. Now I'm just wondering what kind of technology can help cause, because I imagine from a traffic perspective, it just looks one AWS versus another AWS or one AWS versus another Azure, I guess.
1: Well, you can see using people are using on the network and different ports open up to AWS that you haven't authorized and using different accounts. And therefore, it's a, it's pretty easy to spot people who are using cloud on, on the corporate network. Now, of course, they could go all out and run their own circuit, <laughs> you know, have a, yeah. and a VPN <laughs> and you know, all that stuff and be stealthy about it. But I don't think people are really willing to do that now. Even though they may be frustrated with IT, at certain points. Um, I don't think they're into building their own stuff as much. At least it's not as much of a trend as it was, but we found it a ton. In fact, in many instances, that's how cloud computing grew. I mean, salesforce.com, you know, grew back in the early um, uh, early 2000s uh, because of shadow IT, because salespeople were pulling out their credit card and signing up for a, a salesforce.com account uh, to optimize their sales process. And the big, the IT, uh, didn 't allow it, and quite frankly forbade it in many instances, but they in essence became such a big user base, maybe a thousand two thousand people, and then suddenly they just put it back on i t store We may be seeing things like that with infrastructure as a service clouds um, but hopefully they 're working with i t to make sure they 're working they 're moving in the wrong direction the right direction i mean my big concern about that is typically uh shadow cloud is not going to have an architect it's not going to have a security administration it's not going to have a database administrator things like that they're going to hire a bunch of interns to build it um you know maybe over a summer and put it into production and then suddenly it gets put back on the lap of it and they have to assimilate in essence rebuild this thing which by the way is already in production and therefore people are leveraging it it's almost like changing tires on a car moving down the road
0: do you see people do assess uh, cloud security and is it a framework uh, for people who may not be doing this right now? Is there a framework that you're aware of that they can use to assess their cloud security on their AWS accounts or uh, sorry, whatever public public environment and how often should they be doing it?
1: Yeah, the cloud security alliance has defined a process for assessing cloud security. Um, I think you have to kind of take it to another level. So, You're hiring a security consulting firm or even a security technology firm that has a professional service arm to go through and audit your security and do the pen testing and the white you know the white hack and the black hack stuff uh, to see where level you're at level of encryption doing auditing for compliance and all these sorts of things so it's really something you're going to assemble yourself Uh, it's not going to be something you can really kind of get a book and go through it you're going to have to customize it for uh, the type of data you have, the industry that you're in, the kind of systems you are, the type of clouds you're on, the brand of cloud you're on, all those sorts of things. So you can use those as kind of a main guidance, is to go through um, encryption checking and uh, directory services and all these sorts of things. But you're going to have to, in essence, rely on your own expertise to create something that's going to run you through an audit. And so self-auditing is something that's uh, we have kind, of, it's kind of a lost art. It was, you practiced a lot maybe 30 years ago and now here we are where in many instances we've re-centralized the data you know very much like it was in the mainframes years ago And we decentralized out on pcs and distributed systems and now we're re-centralizing back in the cloud so the ability to audit those systems through something that's repeatable and through tools that are able to in essence do the things you need to do which are available to you is extremely important and i think that in many instances it's good to hire an outside auditing firm but you have to do some self-auditing as well specifically if you're in a finance or healthcare. And, you know, one of these verticals where privacy is going to be an issue because you're going to get audited by whatever regulatory commission at one particular time. And so you have to, in essence, maintain the integrity over a long period of time and maintain the stuff. So that's a combination of you doing internal audits. That's a combination of you hiring uh, outside security audit auditors. And there's a bunch of them out there that do it. And then uh, understanding you're going to get um, uh, the government coming in and auditing you. So it's lots of audits. I mean, that's that's kind of what, it depends on the industry you're in, but you should be prepared to have your work checked.
0: But C, uh, I guess CSA is a great one to start with if you're starting off today, um, building your own version of using CSA as a framework, you making it, I, I guess, giving it your own spin based on your organization to do a self audit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you would use, I mean, I would, you know, look at the framework. It's kind of a checklist and, you know, it's like a pre-flight checklist before you, you know, take a plane up. But the thing is, you're going to have to adapt it for what encryption services you have, identity access management. In some cases you may not have identity access management. In some cases it may not use a directory. You may have a security manager, which may leverage a repository. It just keeps going on forever. And then, how are you going to test each one of those things and do the penetration testing, the smoke testing? you know, all the things are going to be, um, you know, important to see how stable that environment is. And that's going to be something you have to develop yourself or hire someone to develop. it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be generic things you can get from standards organizations, even though I have all the respect for, you know, all the respect in the world for CSA and some of the other groups that are out there, and even some of the technology providers, uh, they don't know your environment. They're just going to kind of do what I do. I mean, when I write a book, I guess at what your environment is, but you read my book, I'm missing things you have in your organization that you have to kind of fill in the blanks. And so yeah. that becomes kind of an art into itself that uh, many enterprises may be lacking. We just, don't, we just don't have enough cloud skills people out there who know how to set these things up.
0: Yeah. And I think good, to a point
1: Good use of the, the regulatory, the auditors don't have them either. So they're not able to catch problems in many instances. But you know, maybe everybody's done, but we have to get smart
0: yeah and i think to your point uh containers cloud this wasn't there like 20 years ago this is like there's not enough i guess runway that these technologies have had so far for it to become like oh every it's like it's not like how sysadmins used to be such a common thing and now it's almost like that field is dying uh in a lot of ways and it's like it's evolving i guess not dying is the right for police evolving is the right word for turning into devops and all these other people but yeah it's it's definitely interesting. Um it's a good way to get into the next segment as well. I call it the mythbuster and the uh questions that I come across is more what is the most common cloud security myth or misconception that you hear?
1: Uh the cloud is less secure than on premise. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Uh, well, so, and what are people not talking about cloud security? Let's go with that. What, what is it that people are not talking enough about cloud security? There that, that is this general awareness that I need cloud security, but what is, it, is there something that you feel that they're not asking enough?
1: Oh, yeah. The planning and architecture needs to go into a, a solid security solution. They don't talk about that. They, people like to lead with the tools. You know, so I'll, I'll hear about RSA and, you know, Ping Identity and whatever tool the other, you know, their colleagues are using. Things like that versus actually looking at the security requirements, looking at the data, looking at where it is, looking at the locations, looking at the as-is in the 2B states. Well, that gets into a bunch of boring planning that has to occur and a bunch of thinking, a bunch of research. Um, but if you don't do that, I think you're going to miss the mark in providing an optimized security solution. Keep in mind that, you know, if I have enough money and time. I can solve any problem. What I'm looking to do is, in essence, provide something that's optimized, that's as optimized as I possibly can make it. So if you create a solution that works, that doesn't mean you necessarily have succeeded. That just means you created something that works, that's inefficient. You need to create a solution that's optimized and gets something close to 100% optimization. And that takes a lot of planning and coordination. You know, that's almost an art form unto itself. And there's not a lot of people on this planet that are able to kind of pull that off as I'm finding.
0: Yeah, it is definitely an art. Um, I've got a last section, which is a fun question section, which is it's just three questions. I don't really give you a heads up on it because they're not technical. What do you spend most time on when you're not working on cloud or tech?
1: Um, let's see. Besides binge watching Netflix. <laughs> uh, I build, yeah, I build racing drones and actually um, uh, also work on motorcycles. So those two things.
0: Oh, those racing drones awesome. as well.
1: Racing drones.
0: Like actual competitions or?
1: Actually go to a competition. Because wow. you built a drone and it's not a lot of exercise because you're sitting in a lounge chair looking into it. <laughs> <model>. But uh, <laughs> it's a, it's fun to watch a device that you made, you know, go around the course faster than other people. So yeah, yeah enjoy wow.
0: that. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that still fascinates me. Um, uh, and The next question, what is something that you're proud of but is not on your social media like LinkedIn or Twitter?
1: Boy, I put everything on my social media I was proud of. Isn't that what you have to do by law? Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm proud of my career. I think that's, you know, um, maybe that is on my social media. But probably the most important thing is I'm proud I made lots of millionaires. That's not on my social media. So in all the companies I built and sold, uh, I paid lots of mortgages and paid lots of uh, college tuitions and made lots of millionaires. So I think that's satisfying. So I'm, you know, people work for me for three or four years and they walked away rich, not not quit your job forever rich, but I was able to make them comfortable for a long period of time and knock some things out of the park for them. And I think that's what I'm proud of. It's like you know, helping people and, you know, giving them a share of the pie, things like that. You know, it seemed like I worked too long for people that were um, leveraging my talents, but not necessarily providing me with the uh, the compensation I deserve. Of course, everybody thinks that when they're in their 20s. Yep. <laughs> get up to other companies that I started. And so people were willing to take a risk with me that got compensated well. And so I, I get, you know, Christmas cards all the time. And you know, them in their new houses with their, you know, porches in front and things like that. And I get a kick out of that. Yeah, wow.
0: Their yeah. life
1: better. Nah, so that's well, something that's, that's, f- that's I'm proud of.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. So, um, last question. What's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share with the audience?
1: Oh, it's a steakhouse. Gotta be.
0: Got to be a steakhouse. Steak.
1: I live in America, steakhouse. steakhouse <laughs> uh, yeah, a steakhouse with some green spinach. Um, seems like I'm always eating a low carb. That's always a low carb alternative. All right. Uh, and, uh, you know, sauteed spinach, but, and sometimes a blue cheese, cheese crust. But oh. it's got to be a good steak, got to be a prime made prime steak.
0: Nice. Nice. Uh, that's making me hungry. It's only 8 a.m. in the morning <laughs> over here. Making me hungry now. Um, well, uh, that's pretty much what we had the time for. Where can people find you online? Uh, and if they don't have any further questions about this, where can they find you online?
1: Sure. You can always email me at dlinthicum at Deloitte.com. L I N T H I C U M. I'm on LinkedIn. Reach out to me there. I seem to accept all invitations. And, uh, <laughs> also I have my, uh, blog on InfoWorld, um, that uh, posts twice a week. I have the on-cloud podcast that Deloitte uh, creates that can be found on iTunes and it seems to be getting up to number one right now. So please follow me there. Awesome. And uh, I got some 30 some courses out on lynda.com. So if you wanna hear my voice overseeing multi-cloud, multi-cloud work, cloud security, multi-cloud security, all those sorts of things, it's all out there. And I basically created that because I had a lot of questions like this and how to do best practices in security and that people seem to enjoy them. And so go out and take advantage of them.
0: Awesome. No, thank you. I'll I'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. But David, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that, man. No worries. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, We would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.